We're reading from Second Chronicles chapter 29, starting at verse 20, continuing on from last week's readings. <clears throat> then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. <coughs> so they slaughtered the bulls, excuse me, slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. They slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. They slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, and the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also. And the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, the king of Israel. <clears throat> the whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. <clears throat> then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of burnt offerings that, was, that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced, because God had provided for the people, for the thing had come about suddenly.
Uh, good morning again. This is the same Andrew, different hat. It's my privilege to lead you in the word this morning and um, to go on with our, um, our um, series on Hezekiah. And we're doing a, um, last week we started a theme, and, and Glenn's right, Joel started the theme looking at King Hezekiah, and we called it the Reign of Renewal. Um, focusing on renewal and what that looks like. And our prayer is that this doesn't just become a, a nice look into history or, wow, this is a cool Bible story or there's lots of stuff in there. But our prayer is that we find ways or uh, individually and as a community uh, to look at these things and have a look at what God might be saying to us about renewal as we head into a new year as a church. So um, over the next couple of weeks, try to keep that in mind. We, we're trying to be, Joel was really practical last week, we're trying to be practical. We're trying to see how God moves his people in renewal and how renewal happens when um, our eyes are fixed on God and um, what renewal might look like for us. We don't want it just to be an edifying experience to read uh, through Hezekiah's story, although it is that. Um, his reign of renewal. He was a pretty significant king, as we saw last week. He had a really wicked father, Ahaz, who totally decimated the temple. And I mean totally ruined it in every way possible, not just physically, but even spiritually. He totally did everything that you shouldn't do in the temple and locked the doors. Um, and um, he led the people away into wickedness, uh, led the people against God. And the people of Judah totally rejected and offended God. So that was the state of the nation and Joel helped us understand that a little bit last week. Hezekiah at 25 years old becomes a king and he immediately begins to turn things around. Pretty stunning. He recognizes the complete and utter faith, unfaithfulness of his father. The people, he recognizes the unfaithfulness of the people and more significantly he sees the trouble that they're in, the trouble the nation of Judah is in. Now, you, I catch myself wondering, how does that happen? How do you have this really unbelievably wicked father and this 25-year-old that becomes a king and turns it around immediately? There's a bit of a secret if you look into the history, and I'm not going to go into the whole lot, but I wanted to tell you, because it says there his mother was Abijah. Abijah, her dad was Zechariah. And Zechariah was one of the advisors to the only other, or one of the other good kings a little while back in the story, King Uzziah. Zechariah was this voice of God to kings. And her father, and Abijah's father was Zechariah, and he spent a lot of time, obviously, with his daughter. And she became Hezekiah's mother. And I thought it was really significant when we think of families. We look at our kids' ministry. We look at our youth ministry. We look at the conversations you might have at home, um, or you might go and see grandma and grandpa, or or Om and Opa, whatever you know, wherever you come from, and you see the rich heritage. And it wasn't lost on me that Hezekiah, what Hezekiah actually, what he acted out of, was a seed planted by the generations of faithfulness. And we're not preaching about that this morning, but I want you to see that. Because I caught myself wondering why did Hezekiah respond like that. So parents, your kids are listening. There's seeds to be planted. Grandparents, they are still listening, even when they don't look like they are. So but Hezekiah begins by cleansing the temple. We talked about that last week. We saw that he commanded the temple to be consecrated, set apart again for God. Everything that was needed, going back to the rules, what should be happening, and he had that all set up again. Everything was reinstated. Idolatry was to be completely removed. 
The temple must be made ready, cleansed and consecrated for God again to be able to be worshipped. And Joel helped us to look at ourselves because we are now the temple, right? Remember I said we want to take this and see what it means for us. We're now the temple. We are the place that God indwells. And he, asked, he helped us to ask um, and ask ourselves what we might need to cleanse ourselves from. How and where do we need to be consecrated? If you were here last week, you might remember that. Are there areas uh, that you've slipped into or we've slipped into idolatry or, or unfaithfulness? And it happens really easy, guys. I'm serious. It, you know, it happens quickly and easily. What are we or have we been worshipping? What's stealing our passion? What's stealing our ambition? And then we were given an opportunity to reflect and we were given an opportunity, an opportunity to invite God to cleanse us from unfaithfulness. And we finished with this declaration, this recognition that through Christ we're cleansed and consecrated, praise God. And, and that's where we went last week and we recognized the great work that Hezekiah began straight away. So Hezekiah has a temple cleaned up, concentrated, consecrated to God and his next goal is to restore faithfulness in the people. It's interesting, isn't it? He starts with the temple and he gets that sorted, and now he's going to focus on the people. And that's what we're going to look at for the next couple of uh, next two weeks. He, needed, he wanted to see the, the nation respond, to see renewal in the nation. He, needed, he knew that there was practical things that had to be done in the temple. The temple had to be made ready and made worthy of God. And now he looks at the people and says, but it's not just the temple that was desecrated, it was also the people. And now we need to look at the people. What does renewal look like for you? How do we bring renewal and restoration to the people? Cleansing of unfaithfulness is only part of the renewal, isn't it? Restoration of faithfulness is also the key. Hezekiah knew that it wasn't enough to lament and forsake those sins. Two things needed to happen. And there was a lot of details in our reading. There was a lot of blood and there was a lot of you know, bits and pieces and these priests and those priests. And, and you know, if you want to read it sometime, read it again because it does all make sense. But I just want to pull out and highlight a couple of things that he's really focusing in our reading today. Two things need to happen. There must be a sacrifice made for their unfaithfulness. And the people, the other thing, the second thing is the people must respond. Those are the two things. And that's true for us too, this whole sense of unfaithfulness. There needs to be a sacrifice made for unfaithfulness. And the people must respond. And we're just going to look quickly at those little things today. So he starts with the priests and he brings in seven of each. Lambs, goats, bulls, etc. You might have read those details. And it's an interesting note here that technically, by God's law... You only needed one. You only needed one goat and one lamb. And it's just a sense where Hezekiah almost, it's almost like he recognizes the greatness of their unfaithfulness. And he goes for seven. He goes overabundant and he recognizes the greatness of the unfaithfulness. And, and you'll see in verse 20 and 25, and 20 to 25, you'll see those bits there. And. Um, what you'll notice is, and there's another thing you'll notice in there, that he does it for, in verse 20 to 25, we'll see where he talks about, uh, right at the end, um, in, tw in 24, And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. Here's another thing. Hezekiah decided that he was going to call all Israel. Remember, he was just the king of Judah. The kingdom had been split in half. 
And he wasn't the king of Israel, but he recognized that the whole nation, the whole people of God needed to be called to renewal. And so he was ready to make that sacrifice for all Israel. The leaders would go before God and they'd make sacrifices on behalf of the people. And that's the bit where they throw the blood everywhere and etc, etc. And there were rules for doing that. Hezekiah recognized that the temple was cleansed, but now the people needed to be. There needed to be a sacrifice for the great sins of the people because they were not able to atone for their sins themselves. You know, in those days, they knew that humans before God, in their sin and unfaithfulness, they were not able to atone for their sin themselves. They needed the priests, they needed offerings that would restore them to God, that would then consecrate them. And Joel talked to us last week what consecrate, consecrate means, that being set apart or noted as one of God's. This made me ponder our own restoration for unfaithful, from unfaithfulness. We don't have altars. We don't have them set up in the corner of the student centre. We don't have altars where we sacrifice lambs. We don't bring in lambs, goats and bulls and pigeons and all those other animals, do we? We don't have kings or priests. We did have a queen this morning that told us to sit and stand and all that sort of stuff. But we don't have kings or priests that act as mediators that, that slaughter something for us and splash the blood on the walls. We don't have go-betweens appealing to God on our behalf. So how is our faithfulness restored? It made me think about that. We may not have lambs to lay our sin on, but our sin was laid on the Lamb of God. And this is significant. You and I have the Lamb. We don't own a lamb that we can kill, the Lamb of God. And interesting in that song, that Colin Buchanan song, the lamb came to us. We didn't have to pick one out of the herd and, and find the good one and kill it. The lamb came to us and was slain on our behalf. We didn't need someone to go between. We didn't need priests and Levites. Our sin was laid on the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus. He mediated for us and now we're restored. We don't have to go and do it again and again and find another lamb next week and find another next year. Our repentance and reformation won't obtain pardon. It's obtained in and through Christ who made a sin offering for us. And there's a beautiful parallel, isn't it? There was this recognition, there's this sense where you can't do it yourself. Hezekiah knew the people, you cannot atone for your unfaithfulness. We are going to need to go back to what God said and, and in abundance. And something's going to have to die for you to be consecrated. Someone had to die for us to be consecrated. You see, our unfaithfulness also needed to be restored. Christ made a sin offering for us. And Isaiah and, and Peter, they, Isaiah points to it and Peter reminds us, there's a couple of scriptures I wanted you to have a look at. In Isaiah, he looks forward and he prophesies, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was a picture of what was going to happen. The old sacrificial system was going to change. And Peter looks back and reminds us and he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, restoration. By his wounds we've been healed. You see, it's no different for us than the nation of Judah. That, that unfaithfulness, we also need rest. We need renewal. We need restoration from our sin and unfaithfulness. 
And he's the lamb that was slain for us. He's the sacrifice that was made so that we can now be restored. And renewal from our unfaithfulness can begin. You see, renewal is a dynamic word, isn't it? Restoration is a, a once-off thing, isn't it? You're restored, that's it. You know, you, you go through the process with a house and it's restored and it's beautiful. But renewal is dynamic, it's, it's ongoing, it's always this movement of renewal happens in our lives. And that's what Jesus set in to train, that this renewal from our faithfulness can begin. There needs to be an offering for sin, thank God, that it was made for us. Amen? But renewal from unfaithfulness, renewal in general, needs to come with action, doesn't it? And that's that second point. Well, the second thing that Hezekiah recognises, the people must respond. The offerings made before had been bought by Hezekiah and he gets those, those, those seven of everything. And now the congregation, the, 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 the people must bring their own sacrifice to the Lord. And this would be thank offerings. They brought along with free will offerings. So they're thank and free will offerings. And in verse 31 we read, And Hezekiah said, You've now dedicated yourself to the Lord, so that's the sacrifice that's done. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. See, the king says it, they do it. That's what Glenn said this morning. We're actually going to talk about it in the office this week, that the pastors say it and you do it. We've been thinking about that. Do you reckon that might work, Joel? Nah. <laughs> that was a pretty emphatic no. Once they'd properly sacrificed and, and cleansed the temple and their own hearts before God, the assembly was invited to come and bring invited to come and bring their own personal offerings. One of the great purposes of the temple as a place for the personal sacrifice and worship of the believer, was now restored. The temple was ready, as it were. It's kind of like everything's ready for the people now. The, the, the temple's been cleansed. We found out last week the temple's been made ready and the, the sacrifices have been made for unfaithfulness. It's ready. Come on in. Come on in because it's now restored. And verse 35b, I wrote that in here. And this is really important. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. It's kind of like the machinery, the last bit's done, you know, everything's lubed and ready, it's totally restored, we can fire it up. Okay, that's man speak. Can we think of some other way, some other... But you get the picture, don't you? You understand what I'm saying. The temple's ready. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. Temple's clean, offerings been made for their sin, we are ready for you there was great recognition and acceptance of their sin as well as the willingness to bring personal sacrifices so much so they had to bring in help did you notice that there wasn't enough priests to deal with all the offerings so we had to train up some others but our training courses aren't fast enough and aren't graduating people fast enough so let's get the levites in because levites are special people they're the holy people and they can do it anyway they're consecrated let's get them in to help because we have a stack of offerings to deal with Next week, we're going to have a look at what that might look like practically as well. But what this led to, and what I want us to see, is that it caused them to worship. It caused them to praise and worship, to bring a sacrifice of praise, to glorify God. They bowed down and worshipped. And verse 30 says that, doesn't it? Where does it say? Or do we have that on the slide up there? They sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. You see, after the sacrifices came joy. Why? Because I knew it was done. 
Now, they understood the whole sacrificial system. Once the lamb or the goat and once the blood had been spread and once um, it, had been, it had been offered up and the burnt offerings had been burnt, that they, it was done. They were completely cleansed and consecrated before God. They understood that. They knew that. That's why the joy came, because they knew it was done. They knew they had been restored and renewed, and renewal could continue. They were ready to acknowledge the greatness of God that removed their guilt. And this was now manifest in action, wasn't it? They now needed to align themselves with the will of God. They needed to delight in God and not the things that they had been delighting in. Joel helped us to understand some of the things that they were involved in. The nation was involved in idol worship and so many other things that took their time, their resources and their attention. So many other things that they delighted in. Now they were going to delight in God and not on the things that they had been. Now they would turn away from the things that they had been worshipping and they would direct their worship to God. They would set their eyes on God and begin to worship Him. Faithfulness is restored by fixing their eyes on the one who was and is faithful to forgive and making the decision now to worship Him. So there's a decision in there, isn't there? Not about for us. We've, I talked about how we don't have to bring in lambs because we have the lamb. And in this too, I I think this chapter is a bit of a parable of the process of restoration of our hearts too. Because our hearts are the the temple of God, aren't they? We are the temple of God. God indwells us. Historically, um, back in in the time of, of of Israel and Judah, God lived in the temple. He now lives in us. We are the temple. I was reading a few articles this week and this I read these um, quotes by um, F.B. Meyer. He said the following as he reflected on how this particular chapter could reflect on our lives. And there's a couple of things. Read along with me. He said two things. At first he said, You tell me that you cannot sing the Lord's song. Then I know that you've gone into the strange land of backsliding. You acknowledge that for some time now you've taken no delight in God or his service, then I am sure that the temple is badly in need of renovation. And he went on a little later and I added this one in there and he said, the music of your life is still because you are out of accord with the will of God. But when by surrender and consecration there is unison, that's unison between you and God, your heart will be filled with songs without words and a love like an ocean in the fullness of her strength. You see, he understood that, that this chapter was a little bit of a parable, a little bit of an understanding for us, how that works in our life. We too need to be willing to, to bring our sacrifice to God in the process of restoration and renewal. Now that our hearts, the temple, have been restored, the lamb has been slain for us, we are now consecrated, we can bring our own personal sacrifice. To use the words of Maya, to be in accord with the will of God. And that can be things and, and service um, because the people did bring physical sacrifices, etc. And we're going to focus there a little bit next week. But I want to focus on bringing worship and praise. That's where they began. You know, they brought stuff and, and they, they knew that they had to do that. And, and you'll see later, we'll see in the next few chapters, the abundance and the way that they blessed the nations, etc. But they began at first with the real, when the realization came that, oh my goodness, we are restored, that God has done this for us. 
we've turned around. Their first response is worship and praise. And I want us to focus on that. And verse 28 said, The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. We don't have a trumpeter. We have sax players and other stuff, but you can imagine it, can't you? And verse 30 said, And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. You know, that made me think of if we're going to worship, if, if worship is our first response and in renewal and in this recognition that we've been restored, is it just the singing, the music ministry that we do in church or before a meeting? Or It is that, isn't it? It, it is that. There's, there's a sense where it gives us an outlet, a, a creative outlet for joy and for emotion and for singing. But it's a little more than that worship, that, that delighting in God, that, that aligning ourselves with the will of God. Joel alluded to it a little bit last week when he spoke of our focus, our ambition, what we give time and resources and what we give our heart to. Because that's worship. That's that extended definition of worship, isn't it? Worship is a reflection of our, and I'll put a few things up there, a reflection of our attention, our passion, our ambition, our time, our efforts, our resources, our dreams, etc., etc. Who or what captures your thoughts during the week or in, in a day? Who or what takes your attention or your time? Who or what do you give a lot to? That's where you get a little bit of an indication of worship. When we worship something or someone, we focus our adoration or our attention on, on them, don't we? Worship is a, a giving thing. You give them your attention. You, you give that thing your time. You, 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 you give it time in your head, planning and thought and, and the things that you, that you do. We stand ready to do whatever will serve or please that person or that thing. We'll listen to them or listen to it. We'd be prepared to shape our lives in such a way as to reflect the thing we worship. Let me say that again. We actually shape our lives and our decisions, decisions in a way that reflects that which we worship. Have a look at things like people that get fanatical about sports, music, gangs. I could go on cults and sects and, you know, and, and business, things that we find really important. Our lives begin to be shaped by the thing that we worship. And we would never call it worship. But it's what it is because it captures our attention, our imagination, our dreams. It becomes a fulfillment of the things that we think we, generally, we, we genuinely want. And it makes you do things that you, you would you do, go over and beyond. And, and I started thinking of boyfriends and girlfriends. So, you know, how many of you remember when you first met your boyfriend or girlfriend? Three of you. That's not very good. Boyfriends and girlfriends, you should be worried. You know, all of a sudden... You know, if your mate came up and asked for a $5 loan for something, you were broke. But when you needed to buy flowers for $10 for that lovely lady, there was money. You didn't have time to do anything. And yet when your boyfriend said, can we go out, you've got time. You know, I could be more dramatic. And, and But you know what I mean, don't you? When you begin to fall in love with something, when you begin, when your passion is captured by something or someone, all of a sudden, less things or more things become negotiable, don't they? That's worship. That's, and that's what the people experienced. They had been worshipping everything else, and all of a sudden they thought, they understood and recognized what God had done. 
We'd be prepared to shape our lives in a way to reflect it or them. And why do we praise recognizing and glorifying God? Well, when we understand that God through Jesus has restored us from unfaithfulness, this is not just a historical story. Yes, it was them and yes, they were unfaithful. But it's true of us as well. It's true of me anyway. When we recognize that God through Jesus has restored us from unfaithfulness, he's removed our guilt, he's credited us with righteousness, we are now credited with righteousness, deserve it or not, he's gifted us with eternal life, he's more than that, he's committed to partner with us in renewal and power by giving us his Holy Spirit, our response is praise and worship, isn't it? We, direct, we redirect our focus to the object of our passion, God and His will. Because we want Him to receive the glory now. So here's the difference. When I want to be successful, when it's all about me, it's about me receiving the glory or me feeling good. Now it's about God receiving the glory and God and God's plans getting traction, not my plans. It's about God and His will. We want Him to receive the glory And it comes with joy because we know where and who we were undeserving a lost and that grace has brought us back into a right and restored relationship with him. Do you know that? Do you know where you were and what God did, what the lamb did? The people got it. They were horrified at themselves and Hezekiah particularly helped them to see that. And it came with joy for them. It comes with joy for us because we know that we've been brought back into a right and restored relationship with God. When the people of Judah realized what had just happened, they turned 180 degrees and their worship was now for God. And we're going to see that that was more than a singing and I said that before. In our text we see that after the sacrifices came joy because they knew what had been accomplished. Do we? Do I? That's the question I had for myself. Do I actually know what the Lamb of God accomplished for me. And if I do, how's that reflected? Now Hezekiah said, there must be a response. Hezekiah carried out a reign of renewal, leading the people back to faithful service. The sacrifice for their sins was provided, they were cleansed and consecrated, and their response was to offer their adoration, their worship, their praise to God for His goodness. And in our process of renewal, we're cleansed from our unfaithfulness. I needed it. I recognize that. I think we all understand that. And we now have the opportunity to, re- opportunity to respond to God in renewed faithfulness. And you know, and sometimes I sort, of, I sort of even read that for myself and read my own words and thought, oh, that's a bit offensive. I'm pretty faithful. You ever, ever think that? I'm pretty faithful. I'm not unfaithful. You stop calling me unfaithful. But then when I did a little bit of an inventory on my life, oops, I do need to be cleansed from unfaithfulness. You do, we do. And the good gift is it's been done. The sacrifice for our sin was provided by God himself. Paul says that we were once enemies. We were against God, he said, didn't he? But now we're not, we're friends. We're renewed. We live in our king's reign of renewal. We're talking about Hezekiah. The king's reign of renewal, we live in our king's reign of renewal. Renewed lives lead us to realigned hearts and refocused worship. That was for Joel. He loves the three Re's and the three R's and the 
But it's true, isn't it? Our king's reign of renewal, our king sent, the lamb came to us and was, was slain for us. We were totally restored and consecrated. That leads to renewed lives. Our hearts are realigned and we refocus our worship. That should be the order of what happens in our lives. And then those same words in verse 35b are true of us. Thus, the service of the temple, the house of the Lord, is restored in Andrew. Thus, the house of the Lord in Joel, in Sabrina, in Rod, in Donna, is restored. The service is restored. You know, it's a bit like, I thought when I thought the service is restored, it's a bit like, you'll only understand this if you're kind of close to my age. When Telstra or Telecom back in the days, you know, the line went, they someone cut the line and then you'd find out the line was restored. Okay, you don't understand if you're younger than, you know. But they called it services restored. Well, and it's actually true. You look at the fires to, you know, uh, just Friday, Malakuta. The power was restored and they said the service is restored. It's ready, it can work. That's what it's like for us. You know, our cleansing from unfaithfulness, our restoration, our consecration means that this temple, the service is restored in this temple and a temple sitting in the seats there. What is our response to God's renewing work in our lives? What does restored faithfulness look like in your life? Joel said last week that there's no neutral zone. Hard words. You know, I'm sure Joel didn't make it up. I know he didn't make it up. But you're either for God or against him. There is no middle. What does it look like for you? Will we be willing to praise him and glorify him? Will we worship him with our lives and everything that we are? What does it mean for you? I think it's a wonderful, great lesson and a great understanding of, you know, we, we pray for renewal. You know, and, and the modern church loves to pray for revival and renewal. But this is the guts of renewal, isn't it? This is what it, this is what it really is. It isn't just some fancy schmancy thing, although that's in there. It's getting in there and doing it, recognizing what God has done and becoming cleansed people ready to, for service for the king, temples that are ready to be used by the king, not just to indwell, but to come out of into the world around us. Let's pray. God, we, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for um, just some great examples of, um, and pictures that you've given us of how you work with your people. Lord, we want to, help. We want to thank you that you're really practical, that sometimes we read a scripture and we think there's so many details in there, I don't get what's going on. But right in the middle there, you're showing us what's going on. And we want to thank you, Lord, that we're not just um, called to be renewed. We're not just called to restoration, but you do it too. Jesus, you came to us as the Lamb of God and you were slain. We didn't have to find you. We didn't have to raise you. We didn't have to. Uh, you came to us and now we're set apart and consecrated and we thank you for that. Lord, we also confess that even though the, it's not on the top of our mind that we're unfaithful, we, we all, um, me particularly, think we live pretty good lives. But Jesus, Holy Spirit, show us where we're unfaithful and help us to see.
that you've taken care of that, that you've restored that, that we are now fit for service. Lord, I pray that we would be temples where worship would happen in and come out of, that we would be ready to realign our focus, that we'd be ready to um, look at the life we live and reshape it to bring glory to you. God, I confess that so much of my life is about bringing glory, satisfaction, security and everything to me. But Lord, help me to turn it to you and I pray that for each one of us this morning. Lord, help us to see um, Hezekiah as a prophetic word for us as a church and as individuals that you've called us to the road of renewal. Lord, help us to be obedient in that in Jesus' name. Amen.